When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we are joined by Craig Haubert, ESPN's National College Football Recruiting Coordinator, as we dive into National Signing Day headlines, Clark Lee's first recruiting class, and the addition of Barton Simmons as the general manager of Vanderbilt Football. We also discuss three new reported additions to Coach Lee's staff and preview the Georgia matchup on the hardwood tomorrow night in Athens. We've got all that and much more coming your way here on The Door Report. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back inside the door report. It is episode 69. It is Friday, February 5th, 2021. And we are as always powered by the fine folks at Alaco Finewood Floors. Well, we got a big show today. Again, we'll have a shortened first segment, but we have a huge guest, Craig Haubert. Um, he, he's, he's one of the top college football uh, recruiting analysts out there, and, and we dove into a little bit of Clark Lee's first recruiting class, even though he didn't recruit a ton of them, but it was a great discussion with Craig. Yeah, we need to have a not shortened first segment at some point soon. It seems like we're having having so many yeah. guests on different episodes. We'll just have to do one with just me and you, and we won't have to give the shortened first segment. 40 minutes of just here, us diving in. Yeah, the conversation with Craig was awesome, and, and he really kind of broke down the whole recruiting process as well as dug into Vanderbilt's recruiting class under Lee and, and kind of where it stands and, and moving into the future there. So a really good listen for Commodore fans out there. No doubt about it. And we will also touch on a lot more, especially here in this first segment, AJ Blazik coming over from Wyoming for Clark Lee's staff. Also John Igarugu from the Buffalo Bills and Lamar Morgan from the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajun. So we've got three new coaches reportedly to talk about. They haven't made it official. Uh, we'll touch on those three guys. And Will Vandy is back on the hardwood tomorrow night in Athens. Uh, they will play the Georgia Bulldogs 5 o'clock tip on the SEC Network. We'll touch on that. And then we will be joined by Craig Hubbard. But before we get to breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is also available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. While you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. It's now time for breaking news. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, Will, the 2021 signing class is completed. Jackson Tolk had a great wrap-up on our website. Don't, don't forget to check that out. Tolk doing a great job, as always. But, Will, 
Four new guys signed. Dylan betts Polly, the running back out of Alabama, went to Hoover High School. He led his team to a quarterfinal victory in the Class 7A playoffs. Michael Mincy Jr., a linebacker out of Georgia. He was a Region 2 5A Defensive Player of the Year in 2019. Patrick Smith, a guy that, you know, we, we uh, especially in the Doorport chat, have kind of compared this guy to Keyshawn Vaughn. So we'll see if he, uh, if he ends up playing that way. He is a running back out of New Jersey, so coming down to Nashville. Also, C.J. Taylor signed out of McMinnville, Tennessee. So from McMinnville over to the Music City, obviously excited about that kid. Well, we got four new guys here. Just for these guys and for, for Vanderbilt fans, obviously these are, this is a pretty big class. This is a, this is a big class. It was a, obviously a great effort from the last, um, from the last staff, for, you know, from a few of the guys that were retained from Coach Mason. But early, you know, early kind of uh, initial thoughts here on these four guys that have kind of completed this class. Yeah, overall class in general, I mean, with the turbulence and the rumors of Mason losing his job and then him getting fired, subsequently bringing in Clark Lee, the fact that they retained this entire class is Crazy. impressive. Yeah. Um, and even retained the guys that had not signed in that early signing period as well. Uh -huh. So these four guys weren't – there were no shockers. Um, Patrick Smith was the closest thing to a guy that, that committed later, um, but he wasn't exactly a surprise commit. Uh -huh. So – uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, arms up in the air cheering, and that was expected because National Signing Day isn't National Signing Day. We get into that with Craig in the second segment. It's yeah. Signing Day's over in December now, um, and, and the last few recruits will sign on this actual signing day. But the two I want to focus on here are Patrick Smith and C.J. Taylor. Mm -hmm. And first, the local um, Mr. Football Award winner. Yep. Um, is CJ Taylor. So I was I was talking about this with my dad and he's watched a lot of high school football in his day and seen a lot of good <laughs> players. And he specifically said, because um, they, they were matched up against my former high school, Mount Juliet High School yep. in, in the 6A state playoffs. And he said that CJ Taylor was the kind of special athlete that quickly stands out. He said he's watched a lot of football. And the only other player that he saw live that immediately jumped out like that was Jalen Hurd. Um, and he Ooh. played, of course, locally here at Beach High School. Dang. So that's obviously high praise that's high and that's praise. high expectations. But, um, you know, watching his tape, it's incredible. And he's he's a local product and always good to keep that local local talent here. Yeah. Um, and not out east or or to another SEC program. Yeah, I don't think they, um, you know, especially right now, Vanderbilt is is they're kind of chomping at the bit in terms of, of recruiting in, in middle Tennessee. Now Clark Lee's really going to have to get after it here in the, in the coming um, you know, in the coming months and, and then obviously with the next recruiting cycle, but boy, it's going to be fun to watch, especially Barton Simmons coming in. We'll touch on that with Craig Haber a little bit later though. And we will have, uh, how about let's make our next episode of recruiting breakdown. It just, just, just us. And, and we'll dive in uh, because we really haven't touched on recruiting enough uh, but, Will, let's roll on here. Three coaches have reportedly been added to Clark Lee's staff. A.J. Blazik, the offensive line coach at Wyoming. John Igarugu, the Buffalo Bills um, quality control defensive assistant type of guy. And then Lamar Morgan, who was the DB's coach at Louisiana Lafayette. They have reportedly all been added. Will, these are three really impressive guys. A.J. Blazek is regarded as one of the top O-line coaches in the country. John Igarugu is, has been coaching – in the NFL for five, six years, and he has ex extensive experience coaching in the NFL and was very impressive with the Bills. I mean, playing the AFC's championship, and now you're coaching at Vanderbilt. That's, 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 that's really impressive from Clark Lee. And then Lamar Morgan, a guy who was a, um, a grad assistant under Coach Franklin from 2012 to 2013. So Clark, 
I love how he's 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 bringing in these old Vanderbilt guys and and, and really kind of trying to to bring back what Franklin once had, you know, and kind of bring in those guys that were here. Now Norval McKenzie, he played with him there. They didn't have a ton of success, but I love how he's bringing in some of those guys that James Franklin still does know. But will these three guys are 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 definitely impressive. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that recruiting breakdown episode next time. We'll <laughs> we'll have a long se- we'll have an only a segment one and break yeah, down we'll just all those dive yeah, right but in. I do want to go back to Patrick Smith and plug one thing. Patrick, in quotations, Cheek Smith, Cheeks. as it is on Twitter. Um, make sure if you are excited about this upcoming class, look up his film. Go Or, on, or go follow him on Instagram. That kid, yes. is, he's unreal. His film is probably the most impressive I've seen of this class besides Marcus Bradley. Now, I know that has a lot to do with competition level. He is uh-huh. a lower three-star running back, but... Go watch that film and tell me you don't see flashes of Keyshawn Vaughn in that film. Oh, and if you man. tell me you don't, then you're lying. And that's yeah, high if, praise. If you bring Keyshawn back into our memory, you better <laughs> you better not be lying about it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and watch it. You won't be disappointed. But onto the onto the staff. I mean, how big is this staff? I think somebody put it's out a huge. joke about like they're running out of office space. Yeah. And that's probably that was... not a joke. There's probably some truth to that. Cause I don't I think Vanderbilt has I would have to look at the numbers, but it feels like they're five or 10 more coaches than they usually have. And, and I, control I heard analysts. Yeah. I heard they're bringing in a mental performance coach also, man. It's, it's awesome to see because what, what that shows is a real commitment because those guys have salaries. Those guys have offices. You have to build them. Those guys have resources they need and that takes money. Yep. And the only <laughs> way that you're hiring these guys and bringing them in is that the administration is behind you and supportive and once again, I think this is probably the 25th straight podcast now after bashing her for a short period that I'm going to give credit to Candace Lee because she's getting the job done as of right now. We haven't she seen on-field or on-court performance that has uh, shown she's getting the job done. But man, the locker room upgrade happening, um, the expansive staff they're hiring, some different roles they're bringing in. It's, it, it's a really exciting time. And for the first time, I think since probably 2017, you're like sitting here feeling some yeah. momentum pick up. Feeling yeah. some energy around the program, seeing guys on Twitter you don't normally see talking about Vanderbilt, talking yep. about Vanderbilt. So it's an exciting time to be a Commodore fan, and I'm certainly excited to at least have a little hope in the future of the program. Yeah, there's, there's, that's a good word, Will, because obviously nothing has happened on the field yet. But I've heard here recently, it, we, we, it started with Tommy McClellan. I think it slipped out of his mouth a little bit that they have big plans for a new facility. Now, whether that's a new stadium or not, we'll see. But new thing, it's it's going to be a new experience next year. Not only for football, but baseball, basketball. It's a new. They're they're all they're planning on a new experience, and they're taking their time with it, which is what I love. But will you talked about Clark and and, and the they're going to need more office space because this this staff is massive. But what I really like about about Clark is how how deliberate he is and, and, and the way he talks. He was on the SEC Network. We tweeted this out and said something like you know turn it up Clark that this this guy is you know this guy is is talking to Roman Harper and you know we're like we're sitting here like this this we haven't seen this in six seven years you know it's been that long so Will it's just really refreshing as he said to to hear something like that from a guy that you got to believe is building something special and yeah it's 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 nice to see this but once again i have to temper expectations and i hate to be the the glass half empty Uh guy right now but i've been the glass half full guy and that's not usually the role that i that i usually take so 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 you're preparing to get hurt again you're preparing yourself 
And we have to temper expectations as well, just not even being negative on the fact. But this is pretty much the same team you had last year that went 0-9 in the SEC and got pretty much dominated in most games. You're you're not wrong. You're not going to bring in a staff and then click or snap your fingers and there's there's yeah. success so it's get you're gonna have out of conference games that are w- more winnable than any game they had last season including stanford pretty much gotta beat um, colorado and, state yeah and and you're going to hopefully not see a zero win season but i don't want commodore fans to sit out there and expect that clark Lee's going to be able to turn around this train no. in in one off season i mean this is going to be a process he hasn't even i wouldn't even call this 2021 class his class this no. is still Derek Mason's class. He might have recruited one guy in this yeah, class. Yeah, 2022 will be the first Clark Lee class. So I don't want to – pretty much there will be no judgment from me um, negatively on Clark Lee this upcoming season um, just because he's in, he's basically inheriting someone else's program. He's coaching someone else's team. Um, and, of course, that's going to happen for the next two to three years. But as of right now, especially this fall where he didn't get to recruit any of those guys – um, I, I really do want to temper expectations yeah. there and say that success is not going to be instantaneous. If if Clark Lee pulls four wins out of this team, that's a success. And and yes, they're four and eight, but at this point they are zero and nine last year. If they can get four wins, that is a success. I mean that that's if you were grading that, I'd give him an A um, on that performance. But again, it's going to be tough. Uh, so AJ Blazik, Johnny Garugu, and Lamar Morgan have reportedly been added. Will before we get to Craig Hobart though. Got to touch on the hardwood tomorrow night. Georgia hosts Vanderbilt. Five o'clock tip on the SEC Network. Well, I think they can win this game tomorrow night. They're getting healthy. Um, you know, they got a little bit of momentum. They didn't play uh, obviously on Wednesday when they were supposed to, but another big game because if they can win it, they get to two wins. And they again, we talked about it last episode. They beginning that trek out of the out of the basement. So um, again, if they lose, it's just going to be another downer. But Huge stretch coming up for Stack, as we already talked about. Yeah, of course that Vanderbilt's the one that doesn't have COVID issues in their game against A&M gets canceled of right course. after by far their best performance of the season. So basketball is such a momentum sport. Um, I'm hoping that that momentum, especially Max Evans' play, uh, Dylan D'Souza's play, the whole team's play in general, keeps going. And like, like we talked about last time, this next little stretch that they've got, um, including that South Carolina game and the canceled Texas A&M game, was huge. It's a lot of very winnable games. I would expect Vanderbilt to probably, the line hasn't been released yet, but if you're on a five to seven point underdog, yeah. if I had to put a number, I'd say plus six is about where they'd sit because Georgia right. is four and six in conference, um, but they're definitely, definitely beatable. And the turnover rate on both on these those four teams that, that are on the schedule is is yep. right in the ball, right in the wheelhouse of, of where Vanderbilt can find victory. So You've got to pick this one up. Um, you don't have many winnable games with this roster in in an, in an SEC conference that's very talented. So this is a huge game for Coach Stackhouse and a huge building block moving forward. I'm pulling my FanDuel app right now. Out right now, Will minus six. Uh, hey, gonna... <laughs> there we go. That's either I'm... like very. That's either very impressive or I've got a problem, and I'm not sure which one it is. But I'm pretty impressed with myself on that one. Yeah, you should be in Vegas right now. You shouldn't be, should be on the door report. <laughs> Coming up, though, we got Craig Hobart. We'll talk college football recruiting, talk about Clark Lee's first, and I sent technically staff uh, again, but Will, this was really fun uh, just to kind of dive in with, with Craig. And you even got into some, some five star the system on, on how he, because uh, I mean, that's your, that's your, um, that's your, what you call it. Um, Soapbox. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I haven't, I- 
haven't gotten to talk about it on here, but I've, I've got a big, big, re done a lot of research into it and a big <laughs> theory about a lot of the recruiting classes being skewed for the Blue Bloods, which is not even a question. I mean, it, is, it, it just is. They're always going to get a bump skewed. up when guys commit yeah. um, and a bump down when they commit to Vanderbilt. We didn't touch on that. I didn't want to bring that up to him. Um, I wanted to be more prepared if <laughs> I was going good. to, but he did kind of go through the process of how they whittle down from you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of, yeah. of high school college or high school athletes looking to move into the college level and how they get to the point where they assign the star rating and, and what he kind of looks for in the process he takes, which is pretty interesting and a behind the behind the curtain look at kind of how that ESPN like 300 list is made. ESPN recruiting coordinator Craig Halbert coming up finally here on the Door Report, episode 69, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. Before we get to our interview with Craig Hobart of ESPN.com, it's now time to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco Finewood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Finewood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Finewood Floors craftsmanship you can stand on welcome back into the door report alongside will byram i'm billy derrick here on episode 69 we are now happy to be joined by craig Hobart. he is the espn college football national recruiting coordinator he joined scouts inc in 2005 joined espn in 2006 for that he spent time at places like tarleton state university University of Nebraska, Omaha, and Hutchison Community College. So uh, definitely an honor to have Craig here on the podcast. Craig, thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thanks for uh, somebody researching my bio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you can thank Will for that. He did, he did all the work there. there um, but let's go and hop in here, Craig. Obviously, this is kind of primetime season for you right now. Uh, but with the pandemic, I'm sure it's been a little bit different um, in terms of coverage and being able to, you know, talk to recruits personally, especially coaches. So I want to start there. Um, you know, obviously, everyone's been affected by it. But how have you and kind of your business been affected uh, by, by um, this pandemic especially with recovering recruiting uh, you know it's certainly been different in a unique year um, you know not as different you know one of the things that I felt and then talking to a lot of coaches as well is that this year was different but the 2021 class uh, you know recruiting has become so accelerated that you know we're at a point now where we're already starting to you know look at freshmen who are getting on the radar so I think with this 21 class a lot of these players you know, we had seen at camps as sophomores, uh, as rising juniors, that there's a little bit of a familiarity with this group before everything got shut down. So that was helpful. It was helpful on our end, you know, because we already had a junior 300 out and those type of things. And I also finding out it was helpful for a lot of coaches too. They felt like, even though this was not an ideal scenario, they still had enough of a time to get to know this class a little bit. Uh, I think you know, we were still able to get out and do some camps and go to some camps over the summer. Obviously, it was much different. Instead of bringing in 300 kids at one time, we had to stagger them through by position to keep the numbers down and to kind of, you know, adjust to what has kind of been a, a new world here uh, during 2020. But still got in a couple of camps before things got shut down and still got in a solid run over the summer. So still got to see a lot of prospects. Obviously, with social media, you could still talk to them a lot. Uh, Still got through almost the, uh, a full high school football showcase of which I'm a lead analyst for ESPN. So I got to see a lot of high school games. So really, to, in a long-winded way to answer your question, while it was 
we had to take some different routes and get used to some new ways of handling things. From our perspective, it still really wasn't that difference. And, and what's most paramount is film, right? Mm -hmm. You could, when things first got shut down, all you had time to do was watch film. So maybe yeah. in one regard, we had a chance to dig a little deeper than maybe we normally do. The biggest thing that hurt was no All-American games. Usually, you know, the Under Armour All-American game, uh, the other uh, All-American game, that's usually a great chance to see the best against the best in this class and how ready they may be from college. So that maybe impacted our final rankings the most. So looking back, losing those uh, national platforms at the end of the process was probably uh, maybe the most frustrating thing, but everything else was adjusting along the way, but really not that much different. Yeah, Billy mentioned uh, that I was the one that dug into your bio and got that <laughs> little write-up started up there, but um, kind of stepping back to that, what, what made you make the jump from working in coaching and, and working in that for a decent period of time to the scouting kind of media industry? Yeah, you know, it's it, it, it wasn't a transition that I had planned to make. It was just uh, I was just a, a young coach trying to work my way up the ladder and, and taking jobs and coaching can be a lot of moving and ups and downs. It's, I mean, it's a wonderful profession, but anybody who's been in it knows that, you know, you know, sometimes don't unpack your bags for very long. So it was trying to make a lot of moves. And then just like most things in life, I had met some people along the way coaching. Um, and one of those was uh, Tom Luganbill, who I now work mm -hmm. with, uh, and uh, his father, Al Luganbill, who was a longtime coach at San Diego State, and Coach Marshall Falk. And, you know, as I had met people like that along the way, and when they transitioned and got to this field, they had offered me an opportunity, and I always enjoyed recruiting when I was coaching and the personnel side of it. And, um, I, I said, you know what, let me, let me, give, this, let me give this a chance. And uh, I got into that in 05, and I've uh, been here ever since. Uh, so it wasn't anything that I had initially set out to do, uh, but along the way, it was kind of an avenue that was presented to me, and I wanted to give it a try, and uh, been really lucky. Uh, been doing it ever since. Like I said, I really love recruiting and and personnel. Uh, so you miss a little bit about coaching. You miss winning those big games and that feeling and individual time at practice and those so there's certain things I miss about coaching. But this is a very very lucky to be where I am. Yeah, so there, there's really nothing like college football recruiting and the attention it draws and, and the obsession with star ratings. And so kind of take us through the process of how that works and in, in filing down from tens of thousands of, of high school athletes into the into a subsequent list of this guy's a three star, this guy's a four star, this guy's a five star. And, and there's a lot of people involved in that process, but just from kind of the start to the the end. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you that it's not an exact science. You know, you, you're trying to, just as coaches are, you're trying to take as much information as you can to make the best uh, evaluation for what you think may happen down the road. Because like I said, a lot of times this process is getting started even earlier and earlier. So you're watching guys maybe in 10th grade and you're trying to project how they may be in five years. I mean, a lot can change from the time you're 14 or 15 years old, but it's sort of maybe by the time you're a junior in college and you're 19 or 20. So that's, you know, that's a long span where you're trying to project things. But obviously you start, and like I said, with things getting so accelerated, a lot of guys will come on the radar. Uh, you'll see guys at camp, you know, trying to decide when we're looking at a potential five-star or an ESPN 300 player, we're trying to figure out which guys have natural ability. And then also you're looking at upside. So you're talking, you're thinking about frame, uh, uh, speed, agility, you know, and a lot of times those guys who are five or four-star guys, usually they jump out at you. 
uh, you know, three-star guys, maybe guys who just have to develop a little bit later uh, may lack uh, ideal, ideal measurables. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, got to keep the phone handy at all times. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> my bad. Apologies. Uh, um, so, um, what was uh measurables? There you go, Stars. measurables. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so three-star players, you know, they you may see uh, flashes or things that could be built upon, but they may lack ideal measurables or or speed or, or height. So, trying to whittle down to it's it's not easy, but it, like I said, usually the guys at the top are pretty easy to identify. But you know, it's it usually is as you said, it starts out well with a group of like a thousand you know players, and along the way, uh, you know you'll see players who kind of show up at camps or gain more recognition and kind of helps you to steer. Cause I know every time I will go to a camp, I'll usually have the roster. I'll know ahead of time guys that I'm aware of that I've seen on film that I want to watch. So I make sure I make time to see those guys. But then along the way, while you're watching a drill, you may see somebody that you don't know. And, and those are the guys that come on the radar. And it's not, you know, we've seen it all the time. I mean, it's, I always love the NFL draft because every year there's one guy in the first round who gets taken who was a two star and they love to yeah. they love to pounce on that. Never mind that, you know, the other 30 guys were former four and four star five star guys. But, you know, but it's also proof that it's not an exact science and some guys develop later and there's some guys that come along along the way. So uh, but it's really just about starting with the basics and then kind of going from there. You mentioned the two stars, Craig. Vanderbilt has had a decent amount of those, especially with the three stars also. And those have been the guys that have moved into the NFL. So, you know, as you know, but I want to kind of jump into Clark Lee and his first class here at Vanderbilt, because I don't think a lot of people expected um, him to start out with a class that he has right now. He didn't recruit really. I mean, any, any of these guys, maybe the last guy they got Patrick Smith, but in on rivals, they're top 30, 24, seven, they're top 50. So what does that say about people, you know, about the staff that was employed under coach Mason, guys like Corey Phillips, Austin Everson, that they kind of made something difficult, look pretty easy. Yeah. You know, they, uh, he inherited what I thought was a pretty good, we got him just outside the top 50. Uh, but he inherited a pretty strong class. And I thought what Derek, the group that Derek Mason was putting together was a good group. But, you know, you look at the changes in the SEC, uh, I, I would think that Brian Harson and Auburn probably stepped into the best situation. Uh, and then you could probably argue that, you know, they may not be ranked as high, but I, I think that uh, Coach Lee inherited probably the second best situation because things are pretty tumultuous at Tennessee. And then, uh, what coach Beamer inherited at South Carolina was really small numbers and a little amount of time to try to build that class. So you could argue that he stepped into in terms of what he was hurting, probably the second best situation. Again, knowing that Tennessee finished higher in the rankings, but uh, you know, I think that he got a class that, and for a guy who's known for what he's done on the defensive side of the ball as a defensive coordinator, I mean, this is a class that, I mean, you're coming in with an ESPN 300 defensive tackle uh, and you know, Derek Mason is now gone, but Javon Hay is still there, and he had a lot to yep. do with that pickup And as a Vanderbilt guy. Uh, I think Devin Lee, Miles Capers, I think those are two really young defensive linemen, so uh, promising defensive linemen, and nobody has ever had success in the SEC, and I know offenses are becoming more explosive, but still, nobody has had success in the SEC without dominant players along the defensive line, and I think that is certainly a foundation of this class. Uh, in, in at certainly a great spot. And I'm sure he's got to be happy with inheriting that. 
Yeah, no doubt. And especially I think Clark Lee is going to be happy with the addition of Barton Simmons as well, who is, I think, been kind of a surprise that that he made that move. You know, he's 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 living in Nashville, but he, even he would say that, you know, that was kind of a shock to him. Barton Simmons, you know, I, we'll see how he adjusts. But how do you think that will change college football recruiting? Because do you think more coaches will try to to, to use this method of, of using a general manager? And, and especially with a guy like Barton Simmons, who who you know, hasn't been, who hasn't worked with a college football team, but, but how do you think that might impact not only the SEC, but the rest of college football? Yeah, you know, he's a little bit different, but we've seen it already with uh, Miami bringing back Ed Reed in, in kind of uh, a different capacity, but not necessarily an on-field or coach thing, kind of to oversee things. I think Arizona, I think I saw Arizona just brought Teddy Bruschi back in some type of role. So we're, I think we're seeing a lot of programs kind of bring back some alumni, uh, in roles to just kind of consult and oversee. Now, Barton Simmons, obviously, is much, as much as he does, had that NFL career, and he's more in personnel. But this is one of those things that I, you know, touch base with Barton because, you know, when it first came across, it was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. But the more you thought about it, the more sense it made. I mean, he's a Nashville native, so he's familiar with the city. Uh, him and Clark Lee went to high school together. Uh, Barton played in the Ivy League. Uh, so there's a connection there. There's a lot of connections, I think, where they trust and know each other. Uh, and then Barton having been in this profession and evaluated. And, you know, listen, when we evaluate, we're a little bit lucky because there's not any wins or losses next to our names. But there still is a track record out there of how good or bad <laughs> you've been. So, you know, so what he's been able to have to do there at 247, making the final decisions, gave a little bit of a track record of, you know, how good he could be in terms of evaluating talent. So I'm sure that's something that helped Clark Lee in making that decision. So I think it's good because he's going to walk in the door having a good feel for what the head coach wants because they have a long history. He's going to bring a long list of relationships with high school coaches from covering recruiting for a long time. And he's also shown that he, you know, he can scout and evaluate as well to kind of help that program uh, lead the way. So is this going to become the new norm? I, I don't know, maybe a little bit. I think it may pique some coaches' interests. We'll see. But I also think this is a little bit of a perfect storm of a guy who has been in the business for a long time, does a good job, but then also had a pre-existing relationship with that head coach. Yeah, I thought it was really funny that Barton, after after all he's his job is based on it is is saying recruits names. He really can't anymore. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. he's kind of stuck. Like he's he's he's. It's probably gonna be hard for him. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe the next uh, the next guy is is Craig Hobart to to yeah, hop into we'll one see. of these roles. Yeah, we'll see. I have to send him. But thank you, Carl. If that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, so you touched on the coaching changes and kind of what situations coaches were falling into. And I think there's probably a lot more coach movement than we expected after this pandemic season, COVID-19 adjusted season. Um, out East, Tennessee, what do you see coming of these recruiting violations and, and other violations that, that have been in the news and we really haven't heard much about NCAA sanctions or, or anything about that? Yeah, I mean, to you know, to talk about that will be anything but to kind of speculate, which I don't really want to do. But I think if you cover and follow recruiting enough, if it's out there, other schools are going to use it against them, you know. So and I think sometimes in recruiting, one of the more difficult things could, to deal with could be uncertainty. Sometimes even if something comes down, at least if you know what you're dealing with, you know how to proceed. Uh, so I think, you know, 
we'll see what happens. Like I said, I don't want to speculate what may come down or what may happen from it, but obviously it's something that is out there. And anytime something like that is out there, uh, it's certainly a tool that other programs may be able to use uh, to recruit against them. And I think I said the most frustrating thing for Tennessee may be as they move forward, it's just kind of uh, the uncertainty in combating that at the, t at the time, but obviously he's tough. He's stepping into like a really tough situation. It goes back to what I said before. He inherited a class with uh, that's ranked higher, ideally with some more potential impact players in it. But he is arguably coming into a situation that may be a little bit more difficult right out the gate, at least. Uh, uh, maybe uh, Coach Lee, uh, obviously he's got a lot to work to build up Vanderbilt or Auburn has had to deal with, but. You know, we'll, we'll see. It's not going to be easy. I mean, obviously, too, I think you're going to see a situation where he still has to probably recruit some of his class that he signed, you know, because, uh, you know, there's been rumors of some players asking out of uh, their LOI. Uh, so I don't think he's, you know, done yet. So there's a lot of work that's certainly ahead for them on a, on a lot of different fronts. It's certainly not a, an easy situation to step into. In a vacuum, Tennessee should be is an elite program in terms of resources and stadium and fan base and everything, but we're not, we're not operating in the vacuum, we're operating in reality. And there's certainly some challenges now that, that are facing that program. Yeah, so National Signing Day, the second National Signing Day um, was two days ago. So 2021 is over. It's already on to 2022. It's, it's a quick cycle. It's been on to 2022 for a bit. If you follow the recruit, yeah. those offers have been flying around for a month now, yeah. That, that was about to be my next question was about the offers that I've been flying around. So we've seen Clark Lee offer a lot more four-star guys than previous coaches kind of we've ever seen at Vanderbilt. Do you see a chance that Clark Lee's able to bump Vanderbilt up to that level of recruiting or, or at least up to the level that we saw with James Franklin where they were pulling in some top 25 classes at that point? Yeah, you know, it's like the old, uh, you know, there was an old lottery expression, you know, that they, uh, they used to use, like, you got to be in it to win it, you know? Uh, so I think they have to realize where they may have a realistic shot, but yeah, you got to, you got to put your foot in the door and at least try to make those runs. And I think he's coming from a situation with the success that he had in Notre Dame. He has that to sell. And, you know, uh, he joined us on the SEC network on signing day. And, you know, I think this, you know, the big thing was, you know, when Jim Harbaugh got to Stanford, it wasn't about, it was about changing culture in terms of not finding smart guys who play football, but finding football players who also can meet the academic requirements. And I'm sure he's not the first one that's going to come to Vanderbilt with that thought process, but, you know, he seems really uh, resolute on selling that and wanting to get guys in there and bringing in, you know, uh, he kept, hey, uh, Javon, hey, he brought in uh Mackenzie, uh, you know, I think too, I found it interesting that he, he's bringing it, you know, we talked about Barton who has an Ivy league background. He's bringing in some guys who have had some success, but also maybe understands that culture and some of the differences and challenges that may need to be approached uh, in kids. But, you know, listen, you could sell, uh, you know, you could sell the city, you could sell the academics, you could sell the SEC. Now I think that, and I'm sure that's things that all the previous staffs have tried to sell as well. But now you got to try to sell that we could also be a competitive football team, and and definitely don't want to go out there. I think and undersell yourself and say be like, well, we're not good enough to get. If you're going to say, hey, we're going to be good enough to take the next step, well, then you probably should go after players that are going to help you make that next step. And then we'll see as you know the evaluation goes if they lose a guy who if, who's the next guy up on the board. But I don't see anything wrong, especially with so many players in the footprint 
you know, to go out there. And, you know, I've been on some staffs where there's been some changes, you know, strike while the iron's hot because there's never a time where there's more excitement around a program. Well, then when there's a new head coach, obviously there's some exceptions, but when, you know, the fan base is excited, it's a new era. Usually the university is excited. Everybody's in a position to willing to try to help. So this is the time to go out there and kind of put your best foot forward and, and try to make some of those, try to, you know, listen, when this process started, if you would have told me that Marcus Bradley was going to wind up at Vanderbilt, I, I probably wouldn't have thought so, you know, you know, but they were able to kind of get that across and that's huge. I mean, that's a difference making defensive tackle that could probably play for any other SEC team that's now at Vanderbilt, you know, so you put in the work and it pays off in the end. Uh, so yeah, I, I, this is certainly the, the path that they got to take. Yeah, you touched on the the selling points of Vanderbilt, and I think that's been tread over a little bit. The city, the degree, the SEC. So that yeah. certainly was uh, was on the minds of the Derek Mason um, era, yeah. and it and it worked out in some ways, and others it didn't. But one more question before we let you go here. This is more of my own curiosity. Feel about the split of the early signing day, early signing period, and the and the normal reg, regular national signing day. Because for me, I enjoy it because I think it benefits a team like Vanderbilt. Um, but it, it does take some of the glean off of what used to be national signing day. Yeah. Okay. So let's, there's two ways to look at it. One is selfishly. I like, I liked the February signing period that first Wednesday because I, I felt like it was a great way to celebrate high school football and college football. It was almost becoming like a mini draft. I mean, we used to do anywhere from like nine to 12 hours of coverage. And it was, it was a day really that was almost kind of be getting set aside that was really kind of a chance to shine a big spotlight on high school and college football and celebrate it. And, and you missed out a little bit. Now, the flip side of it is, you know, that's easy to say from this side of the desk. Uh, if you're on the other side and you're coaching and you've got to run around the country for 30 days in January, trying to, trying to uh, make sure you get everybody across the finish line and, and that they don't flip and that you're, you're trying to, you know, fill remaining uh, holes in your class while also still recruiting everybody that's been committed. I mean, that's, you know, that's been really difficult. I think they tried to do this early signing period to address how things are becoming accelerated. But the flip side of it is because everybody pretty much is locking up their class in December, it's probably accelerated things even more. We touched on it, you know, at the beginning that there's offers flying out already. I mean, it used to be the elite power fives could get an early jump on the next class where maybe a lot of the group of fives and some of the lower level power fives maybe needed to wait a little bit longer to signing day. Now everybody coming out of that early signing period can really turn their focus to that next class. So it's accelerated things quite a bit, but yeah, I mean, the reality is right now, uh, just, you know, listen, as Nick Saban has said, the early signing period is the signing period. Um, so I think there's positives and negatives to that, but it, it's reality right now. And I can understand from a coach's standpoint why they may like it, but it's, it's difficult too. getting ready for this year. Teams are getting ready for games and in normal years, you know, those are in conference championships. They're, they're trying to, uh, to deal with it as well. And certain States like Texas, where their playoffs go deep. I know high school, it frustrates high school coaches. They've got to deal with a signing period while they're getting ready for big games. So there's positive and negatives and all of it, but I don't, I don't think it's going away anytime. And if they didn't scratch it this year, they're probably, you know, they're probably never going to scratch it. Yeah. The acceleration continues high school recruiting. It's, it's the best thing uh, that we got going right now. And Craig Hobbard is the guy to talk to Craig. Thanks so much for taking the time. This was, it was an awesome discussion. We'll definitely have you on, uh, especially as football season approaches, but uh, thanks again. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Well, that does it for episode 69 of The Door Report. Obviously, huge thanks to Craig Haubert, an expert when it comes to college football recruiting. He serves as ESPN.com's National College Football Recruiting Coordinator, long title, but it's always great to catch up with Craig to talk college football recruiting. For myself, Billy Derrick, my co-host, Will Byram, and our special guest, Craig Haubert, you've been listening to episode 69 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.